0: Welcome to Spine and Body Podcast. This podcast's stated goals are to change how the world treats musculoskeletal pain, to create experts in the treatment of neck, back, and shoulder pain, and to advance the world's understanding of this pain, to inspire researchers, thinkers, innovators, to empower patients and embolden caretakers. Follow us on this journey, and let's learn and grow together. This podcast is brought to you By the Body Guitar Clinic, because your body is a finely tuned instrument. Like all finely tuned instruments, it must be properly cared for in order to play the beautiful music it was intended to play. Care for your body and use it correctly, and it will play music that is unique to you. Your life's song. This is Sean Wheeler, MD, and let's get your body in tune.
1: There is no greater opportunity, responsibility, or obligation given a man than that of serving as a physician. In treating the suffering, he needs technical skill, scientific knowledge, and human understanding. He who uses these with courage, with humility, and with wisdom will provide a unique service for his fellow man and will build an enduring edifice of character within himself. The physician should ask of his destiny no more than this. He should be content with no less. Ruby Davidson, 79. As I finished the interview with Dr. Jeff Gold, I went out of his office and hanging on the wall was this quote. It seemed to sum up for me what we were talking about. The direct primary care, Episode that you're about to listen to may seem monetary. Uh, It may seem like an alternative way of treating patients to avoid insurance. Instead, what I saw it as is a way to take care of patients the way the physician feels like they need to be taken care of. It puts care and the treatment of suffering back in the hands of a person who's dedicated their life to it. We've often said that one of the reasons why NFL officials are supposed to be independently wealthy is so that they cannot be bought. I always felt like one of the reasons why physicians were independently wealthy was because it allowed them to make decisions that didn't depend on them getting more income. We now have a system where Corporations and shareholders and other outside forces, outside of the physician or the caretakers, are trying to make a buck based on the unhealthiness of the patient. By taking those forces out of the equation, at least in primary care, it is back to the relationship between the patient and the physician. I. Uh, was encouraged by this approach. I hope that everyone will see the value in it and will understand what the practitioners of this form of medicine are trying to achieve. Now realize not everyone has the opportunity to use this. I'm not necessarily, necessarily saying that you're physician is able to do this and that they don't care. It's not, it's, it's the exact opposite. What I'm saying is, is that this is a reflection of the care of all caretakers, of all the people that are trying to care for you, and that people would go to such extremes to try to achieve the goals that they have for themselves as far as care of patients. So that may be overarching, maybe dramatic, but it's all part of of why we're doing this podcast. It's because of how we feel about patient care and the nobility of this profession. Enjoy.
0: Welcome to another episode of Spine and Body Podcast. I'm I'm here today with Dr. Jeff Gold in Salem, Massachusetts. I'm I'm uh, pretty excited to be here. I uh, drove through Salem, kind of expecting to see, you know, a lot more Halloween stuff out. And from what I understand from your reception people take the Halloween stuff down as quick as they can, trying to get out of October.
2: Yeah, we're already in Christmas now, Christmas <laughs> mode. We skipped Thanksgiving too.
0: <laughs> right? So we're here, we're going to talk a lot today about uh, your, your practice and then also uh, insurance. So Tell us, tell us how you came to to where you are now, as far as your practice.
2: Sure, um, the practice model, you know, that we do here is called direct primary care. Um, I wish I could say that I'm the one that created it, but that's not the case. This model started about 2009, 2010, out in Seattle, uh, with two cousins, Garrison Bliss and Erica Bliss, that were employed physicians, primary care docs, and basically for all the reasons that I think patients don't like the system, you know, we feel the same. Um, and they left the system in order to start this model, which basically the real premise behind it is that unfortunately we've used insurance as in healthcare as a form of payment rather than what insurance was actually intended to be. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize that insurance does not equate to care. And in many instances, it actually inhibits the accessibility and quality of care and cost of care It inflates it. So you know, we the analogy we kind of use is think of car insurance. You don't use your car insurance to pay for maintenance, prevention, gas, tire rotations, windshield wipers, oil changes, all that. Good car insurance is something that's affordable, that protects you against major catastrophic loss. God forbid something happens. Um, unfortunately, people think good health insurance is that it pays for everything and it's really not their fault. They've kind of been brainwashed by insurers and the government to think that everything in healthcare is so expensive that if you don't use insurance for it, you'll go broke. And the irony is the insurance is what's making people go broke because we've used it like a credit card rather than actual insurance. So when you take primary care out of the morass of insurance and third-party payers, it's actually very, very affordable and should be affordable. It should be accessible. We should encourage everyone to use as much primary care as possible and keep people away from the expensive part of the system, which is insurable. So I always say, you know, I'm not anti-insurance. I'm just anti-insurance in two ways. One, when they decide to practice medicine, and two, when when it's being used for dumb things that are actually affordable. So the theory behind the direct primary care model is if you look at a lot of goods and services right now, a lot of things are membership-based, You know, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Netflix, um, that basically you should have the same type of relationship with a primary care doctor. Unfortunately, if you look at statistics, about almost 50% of the American population either doesn't have a primary care doctor or couldn't even name them in a lineup uh, because the insurance is dictating everything, and they're disengaged from the system rather than engaged. Uh, primary care is something that you want people engaged with. If they're getting better primary care, the less likely they are to get into the expensive part of the system, and more importantly, just stay healthy. And you know that's really what we have is we have a sick care system rather than a health care system. And our theory is that if we get the third party payers out of primary care, not only is the cost transparent and affordable to a majority of Americans, I mean we charge an average of eighty bucks a month for all primary care services. It can actually also bring down the cost of insurance, whether it's for an employer, whether it's for an individual um, because we're act- we actually start using it the right way so that's kind of the theory you know we encourage people obviously to have insurance we want them to have insurance. I'm not going to be the doc fixing your broken femur if you're in a car accident, Um, but that's an insurable event and that's an expensive event and it's unexpected. And that's what insurance really should be used for. You know, good insurance does not pay for everything. That's actually terrible insurance. And that's why what's happened is we've now, because we've used it as a credit card with a really high finance rate, the chicken's now coming home to roost because we're seeing huge deductibles, bigger co-pays, co-insurance, because eventually you run out of other people's money. And now it's being shifted onto patients, onto employers, and it's just this never-ending shuffling of deck chairs on the Titanic. And right,
0: you know, and I've had, it, I've had it explained to me by someone, they said that insurance companies are allowed to take a certain percentage in profit, right? 80-20. Right, you say to the insurance company, we wanna save you money. And what they say is, is why, why would we want you to save us money? Mm-hmm. As it stands, we're increasing our rates and people are not throwing a fit. So when it used to be $1,000 a year, now it's $3,500 a month, right? And so far, companies and things like that have not thrown enough of a fit that we're gonna continue to raise rates because the more money we spend, the higher percentage of I mean, If we were to get 10% of a million dollars or 10% of a hundred million dollars, it's better for us to have 10% of a hundred million dollars So by saving money, we're making less money. So really what what happened is legislatively, insurance companies don't want this. They want, matter of fact, if you were to decrease costs right now, they would find a way to pay more for hip replacement or or whatever it is. And the hospital calls and says, yeah, we want $100,000 for this hip replacement. And they would say, oh, great. We've saved so much money in other places. We're very willing to pay that $100,000. Because we're sounding the bottom in reverse. We're trying very hard to figure out how much are people willing to pay. Because every time we're able to increase the amount people are willing to pay, the more we get of our 10% or, or whatever their percent is. So it's a little bit of a disaster right now and people don't even realize it. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say it's a little bit of a disaster.
2: I think it's a major disaster. It's a social issue that I think if there's any issue in this country that people should be marching in the streets about, it's this. Um, it's bankrupting people. I know people that their monthly premium costs more than their mortgage. Um, I know businesses that insure their employee, you know, sponsor insurance for their employees. Um, It's the second, if not sometimes first, biggest line item on their budget, and people spend more time talking about the paper cups that they're going to buy for their break room then they do their second biggest annual expense and they expect things to change. And it's, as you astutely pointed out, the problem is the insurance companies have no incentive to lower cost zero. If anything, it's the opposite. So like, if you think of say direct primary care for your car, you know, car insurance companies would love DPC for your car. Um, People paying a cash membership to get all the maintenance done that they don't have to pay any claims out, but the economics and healthcare and health insurance are so perverse that they want me to file a claim on looking in a kid's ear for five minutes. Because the more claims they file, as you said, it's a percentage. It's 80-20. The bigger that pie is. So how do you make more money if you're an insurance company? You process and file as many claims as possible. And people just don't see that but and i've written about this it's like i actually frame it in an addiction model i wrote i wrote a piece a couple years ago that got picked up by like kevin md and a couple other fee.org which is the foundation of economic education which is a great website and i titled it americans unhealthy addiction to health insurance and it's it's basically when you look at addiction it's not about the the substance or the behavior that's the addiction it's the psychology and basically People continue to go do something and pay all this money for something that does nothing but hurt them. And a lot of them are aware of it, you know, and just don't see a way out. And they just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. You know, they're paying Porsche money and a lot of times they're getting a Yugo in return, you know, at least with cars. If you want to go buy a Porsche, you can go to a Porsche dealership. You know you're gonna pay Porsche money, but you know you're getting a Porsche and healthcare. You could go in and pay Porsche money and get absolutely terrible care and terrible service, and yet people tolerate it. But fear is a powerful motivator. You know, the analogy I use is if you really want to understand how the U.S. healthcare system works, it, I, I tell people watch Narcos on Netflix, which was all about Pablo Escobar and the cocaine cartel, you know, in, in Colombia. It's, it's no different. It's, you know, the insurance companies and the government go right hand in hand with each other. And they don't care about the people. They don't care about the doctors. And the reality is without doctors and without patients, there is no system. And we're like the lowest two on the rung. And we're not making the rules. I mean, we have a law that physicians can't even own hospitals. Imagine a
0: law where lawyers couldn't
2: own law firms.
0: Right. Wasn't there a recent law where we're not allowed to have a union? Yeah, it's illegal. It's illegal for doctors to have a union. You know,
2: and and sometimes, too, look, we're not off the hook either. I mean, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Uh, You know, you only get treated the way you allow yourself to be treated. And the more you continue to play this game and continue to go along with the rules, um, the worse it's going to get. And, you know, we've become pawns in the system right along with patients. And I think, unfortunately... You know, when you put these middlemen in this other relationship that should be a very sacred, sanctified relationship, I mean, you know, we get patients telling us things that they don't even tell their closest family and friends. And they put our trust in us. But how do you maintain that trust with third parties that are in the exam room? They may be invisible, but they're in the exam room. And what ends up happening is now there's this distrust, uh, you know, of the system and of doctors and, you know, the doctor had a crappy bedside manner. Well, it's not that the doctor really in a majority of cases wants to be that way, but when it's 10 o'clock in the morning and they've just finished seeing their 10th patient of the day because they have to keep their lights on, you're going to get unhappy doctors. And when you have unhappy doctors, you have unhappy patients that aren't getting good care. And the thing I love about the direct primary care model is when you look at the quadruple aim, which you know, is patient satisfaction, doctor satisfaction, lower cost, better outcomes? It's the only thing I've seen that even comes close to accomplishing that. Um, and it's a, it's a bottom-up approach for the first time rather than this top-down approach. People say, oh, well, you sound like an HMO. You know, no. We're determining what our value is. Not a third party. We are mutually agreeing in a contract with a patient or an employer that this is what we charge per month. And it's
0: typical market forces. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it. It's a choice. Right. So before we get to that, I, I think we're on the present way, the present path we're on, we're headed towards a single party, single government paid system. And the reason is insurance companies probably realize this, but they got to make the money how they how they need to right now to, to satisfy their, their uh, shareholders. But so they're increasing costs, right? And at the same time, Medicare is trying to keep up, right And Medicare is going bankrupt. So what Medicare is doing now is, is instead of saying we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna find the people that are cheating us. instead, what we're gonna do is we're gonna cut all care. We're basically gonna say we're not paying for large swaths of medicine or we're gonna restrict it. We're gonna tell people how they can practice, which is a disaster because what's gonna happen next is you're gonna have the whole Medicare population instead of going to instead of going to govern, uh, to our government officials and saying, you need to figure out ways to uh, make it more profitable to save money rather than to increase increase costs, you need to figure out how to save money. Uh, they're going to go in and say, I don't care what it is, you got to fix this. And what they're going to fix it with is a government system, which every time the government's got involved with anything, much less even a website, it's been a disaster. So what people don't realize is that Most people who know will tell you that a single-party payer system would be a disaster in the United States. It's a disaster with Medicare and Medicaid. What makes you think that it would suddenly get better with millions and millions of more people paying in? And I can – I mean, you and I can both say that it won't. Okay. So – Well, I want to touch on that for a little little second because,
2: you know, the analogy that I use with this is if you think of the Wizard of Oz with the man behind the curtain, right? What we have right now is we actually do have a government-run system. So if you think of the curtain, the only thing right now is the insurers are the ones that are in front of the curtain and the government and Congress are behind the curtain. They're all in cahoots together. It's just they're on you know, opposite sides of the curtain. What would happen in a single-payer system in this country is you would just switch positions because what a lot of people don't realize is even when you look at Medicaid plans, Medicare now, who's managing them? Private companies. You know, like a majority of the plans on MassHealth, you know, which is the Medicaid plan of Massachusetts, which by the way, is about 30 to 40% of our state budget as a whole. They're all managed by private insurers. So now all you do is you take the government and you put them in front of the curtain and you put the insurers behind the curtain. So it's really one and the same. I mean, that's what I always chuckle at is I think- for all the people who want this single-payer government-run system, I'm kind of like you already have it. Right. And yet you bitch about it every day. Right. So all you want are the two key players to switch positions in front of the curtain and behind the curtain. I mean, it's the reality.
0: Yeah, that's really good. You know, and I feel the same way about, you know, we're we're already in socialized medicine. Yeah. As far as the insurance is concerned, I get paid the same as somebody who's been out of residency for two weeks. You know, I mean, that's the thing. And you say – I want to go see the best. Well, guess what? We're not even able to advertise that we're the best. That's illegal to go out and say, I'm the best. Well, that's the
2: thing. It's we have the only service industry in the country, or maybe even the world where the the provider and the consumer of service at the time of the service have no idea what anything costs. So there's no access to quality data. There's no access to cost. Go on social media and see where people pick their doctor to do their knee replacement. It's who Joe Smith down the street puts on Facebook that they had a great experience. Could be a great doc. Might not be. He or she could be amazing. Right. Could also be terrible. Right. You know, and there's some docs that may have the worst bedside manner on the planet, but when it comes to putting a new hip in or a new knee in, maybe the absolute best at their job. And that's where, you know, I think people have to start separating what primary care is versus specialty care. You know, they're they're specialists that you don't want a relationship with them. Because if you do, that means something's wrong. (laughs) You want to see that surgeon, and you never want to go back. That's an insurable event. Primary care is relationship based, and that's what we've gotten away from. Is you know, the term concierge medicine has gotten a bad rap because of the cost associated with it. You know, they still bill insurance and blah blah blah. And I don't begrudge anybody doing it, but the reality is, as a primary care doc, aren't I supposed to be your concierge? Right. If I don't know something. Or need a specialist involved? Aren't I supposed to help guide you to the best person at the best cost,
0: and not not necessarily within your system? Right, because right. that's the thing now is is that the people don't realize is that their doctors are being pushed to keep them within the system.
2: Well, that's the reality, and like I think COVID really put a, a good spotlight on this. Is when you know the direct primary care model, we we survived COVID with a breeze because we were already doing telehealth, we were already including that. You know, there was really nothing that changed in our practice model other than we may have pushed off, you know, some routine checkups and that stuff. But we were still seeing people if they needed to be seen, if they needed stitches, you know, we had them come down, we did it. The hospital owned system, the hospital owned primary care practices around here, which is unfortunately a majority, even the specialists now are all bought out by the hospital, they were closed. But then they open up with no problem. And the reason that happens, which people don't realize, is when I was at my old job, they, those practices operate at a loss on a good day. The reason they're backed and supported and not closed down is because downstream, each doctor that's employed by the hospital system or nurse practitioner, they generate about $2 million a year in revenue for the hospital system. Because when you're seeing eight patients in two hours, all you're doing is referring. And if you're and if there's a non-written rule that you've got to refer into the system, whether it's an imaging study, whether it's a specialist, who's benefiting the system?
0: That's right. And that's and but not the patient. Not necessarily, right? Not at but, all. Yeah. And that's the thing, is that then they make the rules that you can't say who's the best, right? They try to they try to control these these lists, right? If you pay for advertising, you can get top doc. Right. So top doc is based on a lot based on advertising patients don't realize that and we're not you know i mean we're not supposed to say that we're not supposed to say what will cost i mean i think that some things are going to change but it sure seems like this no surprises act has turned into something actually negative towards us again and when i say us i mean both the providers and the patients and it's a benefit for the industry
2: and i'm and honestly i'm totally okay with the the no surprises act
0: right i just want it for everybody that's right that's right
2: I want to see what your deals are brokered behind the scenes. What, why can I give a, a prescription for generic Viagra to CVS for a patient? And they go in and try to bill their insurance and are told it's $600. But with a good RX coupon, it's $15. I want to know. I want, to, I want all that public that people can see it.
0: So I have two different clinics. One's within a major system and one's out. I get paid 50% higher in the major system. 50% higher for the exact same physician the exact same care and it's because they've brokered deals, right which is great for them. I mean I don't, I don't blame capitalism. I, I, say, I say point capitalism in the right direction and I'm interested in what you talk about because it seems like what you're saying is is you're saying, this is still capitalism. you know people have a need and I fulfill that need and we're trying to make money from it, but at the same time, Instead of it being in the company's best interest, in the hospital's best interest, it's in the patient's best interest.
2: The problem though in, the, in our system and, and just to touch on the word capitalism is I think you know what people don't understand in simple economic terms is what we have in healthcare is crony capitalism. We don't have capitalism. We've never had an actual true free market for both insurance and care. And you know people will always say, well, you know, what about the poor, right? You know, you're charging a membership that, you know, some people can't afford. True. Okay. But who's to say that if I don't become profitable, you know, this is the other thing is profit's bad, right? Why is profit bad? Profit doesn't have to be bad. Who's to say that I'm not going to open up a free clinic doing DPC for people who can't afford it? Who's to say that I don't already do some charity care where I take care of people that I know can't afford it? But when you look at statistics, across the country, and I've done this, about 95% of the American public owns a cell phone. And the average monthly cell phone bill is about 90 bucks. So again, tell me why people can't afford direct primary care.
0: So, um, you know, I've often thought, because before Obamacare and and Affordable Care Act, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to label it. I usually put a U in front
2: of it for the Unaffordable Care Act.
0: Unaffordable Care Act. But before the Affordable Care Act, Hospitals had, I mean, every hospital had a certain portion of their care that was written off where they knew that they were responsible for taking care of people who didn't have insurance and they did it, right? And now with the, with the Affordable Care Act, what happened is, is that every single person had to be insured. And then the hospitals basically started saying, listen, we can make a profit off of every single person. And from that, you've seen this rise in hospitals as far as the, you know building every year. And, and really, when you think about it, you say, okay, what happened with the Affordable Care Act? Corporations became part of medicine That's really what happened. Yeah, it was built
2: that way because imagine you and I having a, a product or a service that the government mandates everybody has to pay for. I'd be happy with that. You know so now you're selling a product that every, you know there's a mandate that you have to buy. I mean, you know that's the thing, that's not capitalism, and it's not capitalism when you look at some of the markets. In the country that had one or two insurers competing against each other i mean that's like the red sox and yankees only playing each other all season you know like that's not competition you know having two drug companies make insulin you know and one goes up here the other one raises it a little bit higher that's not capitalism that's not competition that's crony capitalism it's
0: college football <laughs> no, so
2: the the key With this model of direct primary care or even like you said, even just direct patient care, because there's even more and more specialists doing this now, where, you know, they may not do a membership model, but they do direct this is what, you know, a direct menu of service. People get to see, you know, what things actually cost instead of what they think it's cost. If you really want to see the scam, just look at an EOB, you know, which is the little statement you get in the mail from your insurance company that not, this is not a bill right. explanation right. of benefit, right? Which they still send in the mail. I mean, that's how far behind they are that they're like sending the stuff in the mail when most people get things over email. But anyway, you look at it and take a shoulder MRI and you have say insurance X. So you'll look at the hospital who bills insurance X $5,000 for that shoulder MRI. Then insurance X turns around and here's our adjustable rate of we paid the hospital two grand. So because of the deductible, the patient is going to owe a thousand. So the patient looks at it and says, thank God I had insurance or else I would have had to pay five grand. The test
0: is $600. Right. You still got shafted. You paid a thousand dollars for a $600 exam and $600 is high. You know what I mean? For our area, it's actually low for our
2: area. But you're right. I mean, an actual MRI does not cost that much. That's where the scam is, though. Is people think, well, I'm getting this great discount. It's a it's a seventy five percent off what? Some made up number. Yeah. How are you okay with that?
0: And you know, we have people that come in and will cash pay for you know an epidural. You know, it's it's six hundred dollars, right? Six hundred dollars for an epidural or for a shot. I mean, we try to do. All of our procedures as as you know one global rate, and we say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna charge you six hundred dollars. The people who aren't paying three thousand dollars a month in insurance are like, this is a deal, right? The people who are paying insurance are still getting a bill for four hundred, you know, <laughs> or or sometimes even more. I mean, we had a person who they had it done uh, somewhere at the at the surgery center, and they had to pay five thousand dollars. And I'm like, I got paid five hundred. I don't know where the rest of that went, but I got paid five hundred. Well, I think, you know, at first it's
2: obviously met with a lot of resistance because that's not the way we do things, right? But then I say, well, how's the way we we do things? How's that working out? You know, every people love hearing the word free. Nothing's free, you know? So a perfect example of this is, you know, we give patients the option with lab work We have negotiated lab pricing. It's the only thing people will pay above the monthly membership if they choose to do so. But if they want their insurance billed, you know, we send the labs to the hospital where I'm still on staff and they'll bill their insurance and we just say, look, if you have a copay deductible, we're just we're not responsible for it. Right. But we tell people up front, like, this is what it would cost cash for labs X, Y, and Z. And we had one that was $20 total. said to the patient you know if you want to just pass cash it's twenty dollars so let's think about let's just do a little logic you know quiz right here so the response was well i pay a lot for my insurance so i may as well use it where's the fault in that logic the fault is the more you use it the more it goes up so why use it for something that costs twenty dollars it makes no economic sense. Basically, the per, in a majority of patients in the country, they're paying thousands of dollars a year for health insurance
0: to save hundreds. Right. What about the people that say, well, you know, I'm in a group plan yep. and there's somebody that had you know major surgery and because of that, everybody's insurance has gone up and me, you know, trying to save money doesn't help.
2: Well, I mean, that's why like really what we have is not insurance.
0: You know, like
2: if it were insurance, you would get rewards for, you know, taking good care of yourself or, you know, eating right or exercising or whatever. And, you know, you, I I don't like using the word penalized because I think morally I would never want to see somebody not given coverage because of a pre-existing condition or something like that. But, you know, I look at it that if I have two kids and one of them is born with type one diabetes it's not their fault it's not my fault but why should my premium be a little adjusted a little bit higher right given that they're going to require more care more service more expensive stuff than my other kid who may have a broken bone here and there but for the most part going to be pretty you know knock on wood pretty healthy we don't function like insurance it's all ass backwards you know, perfect example of that is, you know, take a col- an average colonoscopy, okay? No one will know. If you ask anybody what a typical colonoscopy costs, no one knows. A typical cost, including sedation, everything is about $1,200, okay? That's what a colonoscopy should cost. For the average American that has no family history of colon cancer, has no family history of polyps, they get one every 10 years. That's $1,200 you're spending over a 10-year period. Mm -hmm. Why is that insured? Right. My feeling is I would rather pay the $1,200 over a 10-year period, but God forbid they go in and do my colonoscopy and they find a big tumor, I'm protected. And that's where my insurance kicks in. The way we have it is we'll give you that colonoscopy for free, but you have that tumor, you're on a $3,000, 6000 deductible. Mm-hmm. So now you're exposed to that 3000 or 6000 whichever way you want to look at it. Isn't that the opposite of how insurance should work?
0: So you guys give it free. Explain that. Exactly. You said you do the colonoscopy. Oh, you're talking with the insurance. Don't no, say with ACA rules,
2: yeah. your preventative care is free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on insurance. Right. If you ask a mammogram, take a mammogram. We get them for $250, right. including a read. Right. Wouldn't you rather pay the $250 up front? Gotcha. And God forbid the mammogram comes back abnormal, you're protected, and your insurance covers you.
0: Right, right.
2: No, we have it that we give you the free 250 Yeah. right, in our system. Yeah. But God forbid you need a me. the average patient's on a 1500 2000 deductible that now they're exposed to. Gotcha. Right. Makes no sense.
0: So you said you're not concierge. What's the difference between concierge medicine and what you guys are doing?
2: So the two big differences are number one, concierge, it's usually a higher price point, you know, than direct primary care. And the but the big difference is we do not contract in direct primary care with third party payers. Whereas concierge, they will still bill Medicare, they'll still bill, you know, uh, private insurers. So basically you know, if you wake up and you're, you know, in our practice model, you've paid your monthly fee of an average of 80 bucks. You know, everybody does it different. We have five age-based tiers. Um, you know, you've paid your monthly fee and you're, you woke up with a big swollen knee out of nowhere. We'll bring you in, do the arthrocentesis, maybe inject some cortisone, and all that's included in the membership. Any in-office procedure we do is included. If you go to a concierge doctor and say you have a $2,000, $4,000 deductible health plan, you've paid your retainer fee to be a member of that practice. But if you go in with the same situation, all of that stuff is going to be billed. The visit, everything is going to be billed towards insurance. So you may have a deductible apply. So you're getting better care. You're getting better access. You have a better relationship with a doctor to a smaller patient size, but there's no way you're going to save money. And the concierge gotcha. model. in gotcha. our model, I've had people just by me helping them navigate this system for quality and cost. I've had them pay me two years of care off one study, mm-hmm. you know, getting them to the right place for nuclear stress. Their insurance at the hospital is going to cost them $3,000 out of pocket because of the deductible, we get it for $1,200 at a facility we've negotiated with in New Hampshire. Guy went up there paid the twelve hundred up front. That's two thousand dollars in savings. That's two years of care to me that he saved.
0: Is that what you've done? Is kind of gone out and found places that can do things yeah. for as good a quality, but uh, yeah, you know, yeah. And I think price. the hard
2: part in Massachusetts is, and in other states too is you know certificate of need laws are another thing that need to get the hell out of. What is that? Certificate of need is basically these laws that started state by state, kind of back in the Nixon era, and, and the purpose of them was supposedly to increase competition in healthcare. But what's happened is they've actually done the opposite. So if you and I find a billionaire who wants to open up an independent radiology center in Massachusetts, he's willing to fund it, You know, we just have to manage it. We have to get approval. We have to get a certificate of need from the state department of public health that there is a need for this facility. Well, big hospital system A and big hospital system B can testify and say, well, there's no need, we ha- we have all that gotcha. right here. Well, us, we wanna say, but we're gonna have all our pricing transparent and do cash pay, But but we can do that too. So there's really no need for you to be here. So it gets shot down. <clears throat> and that's why if you look in Massachusetts, other than Shields MRI, there are very few independent radiology centers, if any. Um, you go to Wichita, Kansas, where, you know, Atlas MD is, which is the per- direct primary care practice that I modeled mine after. They have three or four in- imaging centers
0: that they were able to
2: negotiate pricing with and put and pit against each other. Very we, good. we can't do that here. So we have to send people to southern New Hampshire.
0: So is there a contract where uh, you say the person has insurance and because you told me I had that you had insurance, I'm forced to use it? Or are you outside of all insurances?
2: I'm outside all insurance. Okay. So, and what people don't understand too, is because of the high tech act um, and patient privacy, Um, I think it's different from Medicare and Medicaid, which are, you know, state and federal uh, public plans, but with any private insurer, you have the right to not have your insurance billed for any service in healthcare. So if it costs you, if you ask for a cash price and the cash price is less than what your insurance maybe and you don't want to use your insurance you have every right to do that and anyone who tells you that you're wrong they're wrong oh and good breaking the law
0: yeah because we've been told over and over no you've you've billed insurance before you're forced to do it in this case mm-hmm. how about the fact like for example you know you say well this is going to lead to this right we're doing something that's going to lead to this and because it wasn't through insurance insurances say well you didn't do it through us so you know you're that doesn't work or or whatever i mean are they able to do that
2: yeah i mean we take things on a case-by-case basis and this is where i think you know clinical decision making along with you know cost and quality go hand in hand so for example you know this guy that i was telling you about the nuclear stress test that saved 2000 right the reason we did the stress test is because he had a high coronary calcium score he was not having symptoms like angina or shortness of breath with exertion or anything where I thought the pretest probability of the stress test being positive and him needing a cath or needing to see a cardiologist is pretty high. Um, So why not go and pay the cash? If it was a situation where this patient was extremely symptomatic and I was like, look, you know, the likelihood he's gonna need some type of cath or intervention or stent and follow up with a cardiologist, I would have said, you're better off just going through insurance because you're probably gonna meet your deductible this year. You know, it's really taking that clinical knowledge that you have and applying it to the situation. So, if I refer somebody to a surgical specialist thinking that, you know, the likelihood this patient's going to need surgery this year is pretty high, I would probably say you're better off just billing it through insurance because you're probably going to meet your deductible. Whereas, if it's, you know, a non surgical specialty where I'm saying, you know, hey, I just want a second opinion, I want you to go, you know, have somebody, put some eyes on this, maybe do a couple extra tests. Then if you're on a high deductible, you're uninsured, you know, I mean, you're better off just paying cash anyway. The problem around here is everything's owned by the hospital system, including the specialists. So, I mean, I grew up in this area and I can tell you that when I was a kid, you know, all the specialty groups, the allergy group, the GI group, they were all independent. They were affiliated with the hospital. Now they're all owned. So I've had patients that, have been uninsured, um, I had a patient with gross hematuria, um, got a CAT scan, this was a few years back, for three, $400 that showed a big renal mass, probably renal cell carcinoma. And I called the local hospital system that was built in the late 1800s to provide care to the poor. Um, and the doctor, the Euro-Onc person, who's a great guy, was more than willing to see her in consultation for a reasonable cash price um but employed by the system who said without insurance we can't see her and this is the same system that was built to supposedly take care of those in need
0: so so so, so speak to the people who do have contracts with insurance companies they can still do things a cash uh, cash price yeah i
2: think you know look like you know, Medicare and Medicaid are a little bit different. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a healthcare lawyer. I'm not going yeah, to pretend. Yeah, it, it is different. It definitely is, and it is different. But I think for most private insurers, you can always ask what a cash rate is, and you know, especially if you're on a high deductible. You know, why not just ask? And mm-hmm. and and if they tell you no, they're wrong. Like by by law now, I mean, there's been a transparency law in the books in Massachusetts for almost a decade. No one ever follows it. No one ever, you know, acts on it when it's not followed, but it's been there. Um, I mean, I experienced this on my own. Uh, I'm a member, my ex-wife, me and two kids are on Sedera, which is a sharing group. So technically in the eyes of Massachusetts, I don't have insurance. Um, So when I go to my doctor who I have a great relationship with, he's, you know, part of the system, but um, I prefer to stay with him. Uh, they, I just pay cash for the couple times a year that I need to go in or whatever. And, and the people at the front desk, it's like, they feel like they're, they look at me like they're seeing the exorcist. Um, and I'm trying not to be an ass, but I'm like, I know I don't have insurance. Just tell me what it costs, and I'm going to give you a credit card.
0: That's right. I'm going to give you cash. Like, this isn't – it is so foreign. Now, this does not count towards your deductible either, right? Right. So you just make that decision. and You say, look, my deductible and all these other costs are merely for the emergency. Right. But if you look at statistics, 87% of
2: Americans never meet on a high deductible, never meet their deductible. So, again, it goes back to what I'm saying. You're paying thousands a year to save hundreds. Right. So why not pay to actually have a relationship with a doctor who you can email, you know, you can, you know, do a video visit and not have to come in for everything because we're not filing claims. And, you know, we get to know people, people get to know us, we know their personalities. And, you know, everybody talks about tech, tech, tech. I mean, when you look at all the startups in healthcare, it's always something on tech. Technology is great. But it's even better when the person on the other end of the line is someone who knows you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I you can go onto a teledoc service on a Friday night at nine thirty and pay ninety five bucks or whatever to get, you know, somebody who knows nothing about you. That's right. Or you can pay ninety five bucks. And it's a not month, interested in knowing right. you. Or you get ninety five bucks a month for basically all your primary care, all your telehealth, and the fact that self insured employers look at us like we have three heads. When we're like, look, you can fix all your primary care costs, reduce your claims burden, and keep more money in your pocket. Right. I mean, this isn't right. rocket science, but, it's, it's rocket science. But, what I, but what I've figured out the hard way doing this over five years is like people will use the money as an excuse. You know, saying, oh, I already pay so much for this, or I can't afford this, or blah, blah, blah. And this, this is including employers, too. It's nothing about money. It's about resistance to change. It's about resistance to doing anything different. Um, you know, a friend of mine who's a benefits advisor has a great quote, you know, and I always say people hate change. He says, no, they don't hate change. They hate the process to change. You know, when you look at somebody who's 100 pounds overweight, they're probably not happy with how they feel or how they look. But do they want to go through the process to change? They want to change. Most of us want to change in some way or another, but do we want to go through the work, you know, that will help us achieve that change. And when you look at a self-insured employer, that means, am I using the right healthcare health, health insurance advisor or am I getting hosed? Do I have the right HR people in place? Is my CFO using this broker because they're buddies on the golf course or are they using them because we're really getting the best, value. You really have uh, the hardest thing for the, the two hardest things, in my opinion, for any American to do is look in the mirror, look within and be like, what am I contributing to the problem? What am I, what, what good am I bringing or what not so good am I bringing? And number two, the ability to sit with any physical or emotional pain. We're terrible at it. I mean, think, think of how many people go to the doctor for things in this country that you look at another country, like a you know less developed country, people would never go to the doctor for the stuff that Americans do. So those two problems are. It's not just related to healthcare; it's related to
0: anything. It, uh, it's so true because I, I, and I totally should. I should. I should not have cable TV. Right. I, I should. I should hook into one of those systems. And, and get we're the, all guilty of it. We you are. Know, because I'm it's not, so I'm easy. I'm not letting to myself have, off the hook
2: either. Right. And, you know, but for me, what it came down to when I was employed in the system is, do I want to stop hearing myself complain? And the answer was yes. So I did what I thought was right to stop complaining and and, and practice medicine the way that I wanted. You now have an option as a patient, you know forty nine states now have a direct primary care doctor somewhere it's not as robust as we want it because it is a hard thing to do, but you do have options now to do something different, so you can't complain
0: right so so if you were if you were to have the system you wanted, you would say companies and individuals would get high deductible systems, and the savings that they had they would use to buy into direct primary care. No, if
2: I had the system that I really wanted, employers would have nothing to do with health insurance. Right. But that's not going to happen. Right, right. But what I love about this model is if you think of a sandbox with four little mini sandboxes in it, you have patient, doctors, insurers, and government. They're all in their own little sandbox, right? Like patients and physicians can cross and interact with each other. But, you know, for the patients that are truly in need, you know, I would argue, I say this all the time, I would argue that what people eat and drink is more important to their health than anything I do as a primary care doctor. Right, right. So if we're willing to give people EBT cards where they can go and get soda and juice and all of this white bread and all this stuff that's probably horrible for them, why can we not give them a card with $150 a month to use a direct primary care practice if they truly can't afford it?
0: So so if somebody does if a patient decides they want to do this it would be I'm getting a high I'm getting a high deductible plan um and and you know that high deductible yeah. plan is merely for emergencies.
2: Well what's the biggest you know redundancy is catastrophic insurance. That's what insurance is supposed to be for. It's not supposed to be for a $5 blood test. You know it's not supposed to be for a medicine that costs 20 bucks a month. You know it's supposed to be from major, unexpected, expensive medical stuff. You know, my kid's born with a congenital disease or I need major open heart surgery. Like that's what insurance used to be for. The hospital, not day-to-day care. Again, get back to that car analogy. Think of if we use car insurance for all this day-to-day stuff, what our premiums would cost. You know, th- this isn't complex economics here. Like it, we make it that way so that people feel like they're out of control. Like, I don't get this. So like, I'll just do what I'm used to doing. Well, let's start educating. You know, if we have people that come to us that say, you know, they just lost a job and they lost their insurance and they come to me and they're like, well, I just found out that I have leukemia and I need insurance. I'm not gonna advise that person to go on a high deductible health plan. That year, they're probably gonna meet their deductible in a month. So that year, they're better off paying a higher premium for lower out-of-pocket expense. But on the average person, why do you want to give more money to the insurance company?
0: Well, what would happen? What would happen to the insurance company if, let's say, eighty percent of the population started doing this? Mm-hmm. How would that change? How would that change our healthcare?
2: Well. I think you'd, you'd see a lot of really good ROI. I think you'd see less- Return on investment, by the way. Yeah, I think you'd see less claims. I think you'd see less sick people. Um, obviously, even with the best permit care, people are still going to get sick and get in accidents and get bad disease. Some of it is just unavoidable. But I think you'd see premiums go down. I think you'd see a lot of, a lot of change. And if you could change the law, then the insurers would actually be happy with it because they'd not be paying out claims, which is why you know self-insured companies are really where this model can really grow and really help them, you know, provide the best benefits for their employees at the lowest cost possible, um, with the best return on investment. Uh, you know, we've done analyses where you know self-insured companies were paying per unit cost nine hundred dollars for an ultrasound. We get them for three hundred. So just extrapolate that six hundred dollars in savings. Like that alone, you know, no claims on imaging, no claims on lab work, no claims on visits. All that money is staying in your claims pool unless you have a major claim. But that's what the insurance is there for. That's what the stop loss is there for, is to protect you in those rare instances.
0: Right. Don't you think, like, for example, if if an extraordinary number of people were to start doing this, yeah. The model that the insurance has, which is 10% profit, yep. would, would bury them. And they'd start to say, listen, we need to change the rules because we're getting killed in this 10% model. You know, Make it so that we can, if we save money, we make more money. I mean, I, at least that's what I would hope. I mean, I can't foresee into the future, but it's still a profit-driven, it's a profit-driven, you know, every single one of these things is profit-driven. You, you move the cheese on them and they're going to have to change the way that they make money. Right. I mean,
2: that's how consumer driven economies work is why does blockbuster video no longer exist? It, it doesn't exist because someone came along and said, Hey, we can give you all these movies shipped to your mailbox or, or no, then we'll even do better. and We'll just, you can stream them on your TV. You know, that's where the consumers drive the market. I mean,
1: right. you know,
2: that's why we don't have flip phones anymore. That's why we don't have, you know, mobile phones that were, you know, or,
0: or some buggies, right. Right. We don't have whip, that's, there's no whip, there's that, no whip companies.
2: That's out. how innovation happens. And I think, you know, the, the reality is especially in areas like this that are especially, you know, that are especially so specialized with healthcare. Um, you know, we have all this great research, you know, we're very lucky to have these amazing hospitals, you know, 20 minutes away, but the way we deliver care is like in the stone ages, I mean, healthcare just has not caught up to a majority of other service industries. I mean, you can what that? What's that car company now that advertises? You can have a car
0: delivered. Carvana. Carvana.
2: Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's insane, right? It's insane that we, with all the money and all the innovation that goes into this, that we're still we can't examine people. You know, do video visits. This is a novel idea from COVID that we can do telehealth. I mean, it's insane.
0: Right. And for us, like for the state of Kansas, I can do it with people in the state of Kansas. Right. But I'm not allowed to do it from the people outside of the state of Kansas. So in their mind, they say, well, my insurance is not paying. Therefore, I'm going to drive four and a half hours to see you for a $76 visit. Yep. And spend $200 on gas. On $200 on gas. When in fact, I'm paying all of that. Yeah. Why? I mean- they're so tied into the i don't want to spend the 76 dollars that i'm willing to spend 200 to get to see you uh yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a mindset and and i hope that this conversation kind of changes a little bit of that mindset because because waiting for the government to make changes has not proven to be very good you know it's a it's a lot like voting with your health care right it's basically saying listen this sounds like a system that makes sense I'm going to start using it. I'm going to start encouraging everybody else to start doing it. And when I do, it not only affects my bottom line, it makes change in the United States.
2: Right. What a, When you look at your state house and the people who work there, you look at Congress and the White House, what, what a majority of people there care about votes. Right. You know, you got to start walking the walk and talking the talk and because if they worry about losing votes, then you're getting somewhere. That's right. You know? And
0: right now what they're getting is they're – it doesn't matter. So most hospital systems, most insurance companies yep. are contributing to both sides. Right. They're hedging their bets. They're basically saying, listen, we're giving money to both sides because we want to influence them, which they're influencing them. Right. You want to influence them, you start changing. I mean the populace starts to change and the and the government will react. Yep. Very good. This is a good conversation. I really appreciate you taking time well, out of your day. Thanks for having I think me. I, I think I've gone right into your lunch, which you know. Oh, that's okay. This is uh, I could, I could afford to lose ten pounds. <laughs> couldn't? Couldn't we all? Yeah. So this is this is really good. I very much appreciate it. I'm now going to go and and check out uh, Salem, Salem, uh, Massachusetts. I, I think I told you, you know, Salem in October is a lot like our insurance uh, right oh, yeah. now. You know, it's everything's just a little weird.
2: yeah no we're um i appreciate you having me on and uh you know hopefully you know we can talk again sometime soon and hopefully we'll see change at
0: that point at least to some degree excellent all right thank you very much thanks sean thank you for listening we greatly appreciate your download and taking the time to listen please go to whatever source you normally get your podcast from and subscribe also Visit BodyGuitar.com for show notes and to learn about our clinic. Living longer is not near as important as living better. These episodes are meant to advance the goal of living better. One of the best and hardest ways to achieve this goal is to pray for your enemies and forgive those that hurt you. Life is about relationships. Build them. Until next time, Body Guitar practitioners, performers, and tuners... Get your body in tune. This is Dr. Sean Wheeler on Spine and Body Podcast, and I will see you on the next episode. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare studies, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their health providers for any such condition.